them to the book of Ecclesiastes. That's where we are, the book of Ecclesiastes. So you find that, uh, Old Testament after the book of Proverbs, and um, I'll read you just a snatch of it this morning. Um, We'll start in chapter 7. So you find Ecclesiastes 7, and let me read you um, just one verse there, and then two in chapter 8, and we'll move on. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 15 reads like this. I have seen everything in my days of vanity. There is a just man who perishes in his righteousness. And there is a wicked man who prolongs life in his wickedness. Chapter 8 verse 14. There is a vanity which occurs on earth that there are just men to whom it happens according to the work of the wicked. Again, there are wicked men to whom it happens according to the work of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity, so I commended enjoyment because a man has nothing better under the sun than to eat, drink, and be merry. For this will remain with him in his labor all the days of his life, which God gives him under the sun. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this word, this endures forever. Guys, you may recall that last week I I mentioned two reasons why this book is not exactly what you'd call a fan favorite, that is, the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, I I said last week that, number one, uh, the book is difficult, and it is. It is difficult. I told you that I was only going to preach four sermons so that you might not figure out how much of it I didn't understand. Um, The second reason I gave you is is that it's depressing. Um, It is. There are things in here that are just depressing because they're they're so difficult to unravel. I want to add a third reason as to why this book is not so much favored among the people of God, and it's this. There is so much philosophizing that goes on in this book without ever coming to a resolution. It's frustrating because he says things and and, and he never gives a solution to them. Um, You you know how we love that, you know, just people talking trash and never saying much. I remember I have a cousin who is my age and and um, he kind of got the brains in the family. And, and um, uh, when I went off to the University of Tennessee to, to play baseball and flirt with the girls, uh, he went off to Yale and to get an education. And I, we got together one summer, and he told me a story. And I don't know whether this is urban legend or whether he or actually, I forget that part. But the story is this, that in the philosophy course there at Yale, uh, there was a final exam given. And the final exam at Yale consisted of one question. The question was, why? That was the exam. Why? There were two A's that were given on that exam. One was given to a student who replied, why not? The other A that was given was to another student who wrote, because. Is that not silly? I mean, that's just, those aren't answers. Nobody learned anything. It's just crazy. It's, it makes me want to pull my hair or somebody's hair out. I mean, it's, uh, it's just that philosophizing. But, the, but my point is, 
That's what Solomon is doing in this book. He, he's referring, he speaks of uh, personal experiences. He uses words like, I have seen or I have discovered. He's discovered things about life under the sun. He uses that phrase under the sun. He uses it around 30 times in the book because he's, he's talking about the life that he's experiencing. The other phrase that he uses so frequently is the, is the one that I pointed out last week. Like in chapter 1, um, verse 17, I set my heart to know wisdom. I set in my heart. And on. That's a phrase that's mentioned 15 times or so because here's what he's doing. Solomon is trying to figure out life. He's, um, he's wrestling with things that he sees. And so he's, he's got this life under the sun, the one that he's experiencing, and he's trying to, to sort it all out. So he, he examines things, and he says in his heart, and he thinks. And so he's trying to unravel some of the mysteries of life. And a simpletons, we gave up on that years ago, and we're just trying to cope. Um, we'll be happy if we can just cope. But, but what, what advice, what, what answers do, does Solomon give us? Well, not very many. There are a couple, and we'll look at them. But though he doesn't give us much by way of answer, he does make some very stirring observations. Observations about life, um, relevant, contemporary, timeless observations about life. And I think you'll agree, once you hear them, that the same things that he sees in life, you see about life. So what I want to do is point out four of those observations that he makes. Uh, four things that he says is true about life under the sun. Here's the first one. It was really contained in my text. Go back and look at it. It's in chapter 7. Uh, uh, well, it was in both, it actually it's in several places. But, but here's a good summary of his observation. Chapter 7, verse 15. I have seen everything in my days of vanity. Um, there's a just man who perishes in his righteousness. And there is a wicked man who prolongs life in his wickedness. Do you understand what he's saying? In essence, he's saying life is just not fair. There are numerous occasions where good, I mean, where wickedness triumphs over good. Life is just so full of injustices. Um, like that, uh, James Russell Lowell said, truth forever on the scaffold and wrong forever on the throne. For so many of us guys, fair, fair is is life's golden rule. Life is just supposed to be fair. And it isn't. Is it? Um, years ago, back in the 50s, 1950s, um, there was a Jewish rabbi, Harold Kushner, wrote a book called um, uh, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. Well, you know, a, a sequel needs to be written. Maybe it's already been written. And it ought to be entitled, When Good Things Happen to Bad People. 
Because bad people often get away with their badness, don't they? How many of you have, have been involved in a, some kind of adjudicated uh, case where the unrighteous one and righteousness was not established, it was not supported because life is, is just not fair. How are you doing with that? Hmm? How, 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 how are you coping with that one? <clears throat> well, I'm, I'm not coping very well with it. You know, it kind of sticks right here in my craw. It also stuck with Solomon's craw. And in a, in a moment of exasperation, he says in chapter 8, verse 15, this was a part of the text too, as he looks out and he sees life, he sees the just getting thrown aside so that the wicked can prolong their life. In the midst of all that, here's what he says, verse 15, so I commended enjoyment. Because a man is nothing better under the sun than to eat, drink, and be merry. For this, that is injustice, this will remain with him in his labor all the days of his life, which God gives him under the sun. He looks at this thing about injustice and, and about the best piece of advice he can give us. Be drink and be merry. That's it. That's about all we get. And who can blame him? I mean swallowing all the injustice that you have to face in this life. It's just not fun. It's not easy. So Solomon looks at life under the sun and he says, there's all this injustice and about the best advice I got for you is this. Carpe diem. Seize the day. Enjoy the moment. That's it. That's all you got. You all right with that? Here's the second observation that he makes about um, life under the sun. It's in chapter 7, verse 20 and 21. He says, um, where there is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. Also, do not take to heart everything people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. You know what he's saying? He's saying um, people just cannot be trusted. Um, <clears throat> um, there's, not, there's not a one that does good. We knew that. I mean, Paul said that in Romans 3. It's not, uh, there's no one good, not one. And they're all cursing you. And, 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 and if you look very closely, those people behind your back are just saying bad things about you. And just as we are about to console ourselves that we're, that we're a cut above all that and uh, we're better, um, he adds this in verse 22. For many times also your own heart has known that even you have cursed others. Oh, it's just terrible that, uh, you know, you can't trust people, you know. Uh, you know, they just, they just um, uh, stab you in the back. You know, just like you have. You know, there was this uh, ad campaign on television uh, for Direct TV. You might have seen it. It was all over the television for a while there. I think it's disappeared. But it starred Rob Lowe. Do you remember that? And there was the Rob Lowe who was the suave, debonair, you know, winner, successful guy. And then there was the creepy Rob Lowe, and there was the hairy Rob Lowe, and there was the body-conscious Rob Lowe. There was several of them. And I remember uh, in the creepy Rob Lowe one, uh, creepy Rob Lowe was standing at a picture window in his house, and he was waiting for a, a service technician to come by and fix something, and he says... <laughs> I hope they don't send a girl. 
or a guy. You know what, ladies and gentlemen? Inside the suave, debonair winner Rob Lowe is a creepy guy. There's one of those inside me, too. Um, just when I had thought, oh, it's just terrible that people curse me. You know what? I curse, too. That, that outside world is just a reflection of me, of my inside world. I was at Kroger the other day and I was buying two cartons of orange juice. So I got in the express lane and you know, there's the sign, 15 items or less. And there's this lady in front of me, <laughs> nice, chipper, sweet, you know, she's just real playful with the, you know, the cashier. <laughs> and I swear to you, she had 115 items in that basket. <laughs> and I wanted to say, hey lady, but I thought, you better not do that. Because the creepy Rob Lowe might just explode right here and you have a big scene on your hands. So I just got another line and went to another line. But just as I'm, I'm ready to console myself that, uh, you know, she's creepy, he says to me, um, for many times your own heart has known that even you You've cursed others. Look, he, he even goes on, look in verse 27 and 28. Here's what I found, says the preacher, adding one thing to the other to find out the reason which my soul still seeks, but I cannot find. One man among a thousand I have found, but a woman among all these I have not found. He's been burned by some women and most men. There's none of them I can trust. That's what that preacher said, but here's what this preacher says. I have stood in front of countless couples in um, black suits and white dresses, uh, and they have stood before me and their friends and family and pledged that they're going to be faithful to their spouse forever. But do you know what I get in my office repeatedly, again and again and again? Unfaithfulness. Explain that to me. How is it that they can stand in front of the world and pledge faithfulness and then be guilty of infidelity? Because, uh, you know, the, the point is, ladies and gentlemen, you just can't trust what people say, can you? How are you doing with that? How's that, how's that, how's that sitting with you in, in your experience of life under the sun? Here's a third observation that he makes. It's in um, chapter 8, verse 7. He says, for he does not know what will happen, so who can tell him when it will occur? The, the point that he's making is that life is so unpredictable. That is, the future is so unpredictable. And then he adds in chapter, in chapter 10, verses 8 and 9, he says, he who digs a pit will fall into it, and whoever breaks through a wall will be bitten by a servant, and who quarries stones may be hurt by them, and he who splits wood may be endangered by it. Life is so blasted irrational. I mean, I dig a hole in the wall and a serpent bites me and I, and I, and I chop some wood and the wood hurts me. And, 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 and you know, I just can't. There's no rhyme or reason to all of this. 
And think about this. The very same act that produced Abraham Lincoln is the same act that produced Adolf Hitler. There's just no rhyme or reason to it all. It's all all so nonsensical. He even, in chapter 9, verse 11, mentions time and chance happened to them all. You do know what that means, don't you, ladies and gentlemen? Do you? You know what that means? It means you're not in control. How you doing with that? How does that... How you coping with the fact that the future is not in your control? Hmm? Because you know it isn't, don't you? You know he's right. Here's one more. Here's the, the final of his, um, at least the four. There's, there's more than that in this book, but I'm just pointing out four. Here's the fourth one. I, I, call, it, I call it the big D. It's all over the book, but here's one place in um, uh, Ecclesiastes 2, 14. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fools walk in darkness. Yet I perceived that the same event happens to them all. You know what he's saying? The rich, the poor, the, um, the skinny, the fat, the, uh, the, the beautiful, the ugly. The same thing happens to all of them. The righteous, the unrighteous. Just one thing. What is that? What is that one thing that happens to everybody? Well, he mentions it in verse, <coughs> excuse me, in, um, in chapter 9. In verse 3, he says, uh, um, madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. doesn't make any difference whether you're rich or poor or skinny or fat or righteous or unrighteous or smart or stupid. Same thing happens to you. The big D that is hovering over all of us is the brutal fact of death. This, this giant, uninvited, unwanted alien that's going to get us all. And so you take the impermanence of life and you add to that the injustices that I see and the fact that I'm not in control and the other issue that I can't trust what people say. It's all true, isn't it? It's all true about life under the sun. It can be at times... Unbearable. I saw a picture <clears throat> of, a, of a street sign the other day in a book, and the street sign, um, the street sign was dead end. And somebody had written on the street sign, "What isn't?" But interestingly, at least to me, do you know what answer Solomon has for all of that too? It's the same one. It's in chapter 9, verse 7 and verse 9. He says, go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. Live joyfully with the wife. I look at all this stuff and I know that I'm not in charge of the future and I can't trust people and, you know, I'm going to die and all this injustice and, you know, all I got. This is it. Eat, drink, and be merry. 
That's all he's got for us. Oh, he does add this. In chapter 9, he says, uh, don't kill yourself because a living dog is better than a dead lion. In the face of all that, uh, it might be unbearable, but don't kill yourself. That's not an option. Just that's not an option. Now, having seen those four observations on his part, let's close with the word of prayer. What? What you're going to stop and all you're giving us is don't commit suicide? I was just kidding. (laughs) Guys, but I'm not kidding about this. If you're not a Christian here this morning, that's where your life is going to take you. That's where you're going to stop. You'll, you'll draw the conclusion that life is hard. You're going to die. So eat, drink, and be merry. Get yourself a job. Get yourself a wife. Get yourself some money. And, and take your place on this treadmill called life. And don't forget, you're going to have to get off sooner or later because you're going to die. And before you get on that treadmill, um, you need to get caught up with the stream of things and call that reality. And then drink a lot. Take some kind of drug to numb your pain. But don't kill yourself. Guys, uh, could I offer you a, um, another way that you might look at things? Just another perspective, another slant on things. Let me mention four things that are a part of a, a different perspective. Here's, first, here's the first one. This um, chapter 3, verse 11 is really one of the unexpected summits in this book. He says in 3.11 that God has placed eternity in our hearts. God has placed eternity in the heart, ladies and gentlemen. There's this eternal itch inside of me. Robots don't have those, but you do. Um, Bruce Springsteen, he sang about it. The boss. The boss sang about it. He said, everybody's got a hungry heart. But of course, according to the song, he had to leave his wife and his kids to go pursue his hungry heart. There's this, um, there's this other song. Um, it was sung by Sugarland. Um, I'm not exactly a great fan of country and western, but I think that's what they are. They're a country and western band called Sugarland, and the, and the title of the song was something more. There's got to be something more. You know, I want you to hear just 25 seconds. That's all it is. Just a just a snatch from uh, from that song from my Sugarland. Play that for me. The reason that I wanted you to hear that is because of the, it's got to be, got to be, got to be. The, 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 the songwriter is somewhat urgently looking for something more. <clears throat> if you know anything about the song, she gets up in the morning and she goes to work and she comes home and she grabs a glass, glass of wine and she sits on her couch and she says, dang it. 
There's got to be something more. And then, of course, it closes that way. Got to be, got to be, got to be, got to be something more. Well, there is. And Augustine said it best. Augustine said, thou hast made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in thee. Ladies and gentlemen, I am created by God. I exist for God, which will mean that apart from God, that eternal itch, that eternity that's in my heart, apart from that God, that itch will never be scratched. It'll always be there, it'll never go away, and it will forever remain unsatisfied. You leave your wife, you leave your kids, you leave your job, you drink a lot, you get very successful, you get short-term goals, it doesn't matter! You'll always come back to the place where you're wondering there's got to be something more. But here's the second part of this other perspective. Um, back over at chapter 7, I've already read this. This is 729. Um, Solomon says, Truly, this only I have found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. I was made perfect, but something went terribly wrong. Something's gone wrong. What is it? Why is it now that I'm searching out all kinds of schemes to try and make some sense out of my life? I'll tell you what went wrong. Sin. Sin, ladies and gentlemen. He, he says it in, in chapter 3, verse six, 16. He says, Moreover, I saw under the sun, in the place of judgment, wickedness was there. And in the place of righteousness, iniquity was there. Guys, the heart knows that life is not meaningless. But I just can't figure it out. Why can't I figure it out? Sin. Sin is why I can't figure it out, ladies and gentlemen. I live in a dark spiritual world in my own life it's dark and then I complain about I can't see um, one of the most famous probably well one of the most famous books ever written in Christendom was a book written about 1100 AD by um, Anselm of Canterbury uh, the, the title of the book was Cordeus Homo why has God become man why did God become man the book is arranged in a, as a dialogue between uh, Anselm and one of his students, and his student's name is Bozo, B-O-S-O. I don't know how else they pronounce that. Bozo is <clears throat> kind of slow on the uptake, and so he's asking these questions of Anselm, and Anselm, in one of the most famous parts of the book, says this to one of Bozo's questions. You have not yet considered the greatness of the weight of sin. I don't think we have either. We think of sin as some kind of felony, some kind of crime, and we have never 
gotten quite used to the idea that sin is so enfolded within and it influences how we think and how we feel about everything. So, you take that eternity that's in my heart and you add to that the fact that sin has messed up everything And what I'm left with is that I guess I'll never be satisfied. At least I'll never be satisfied under the sun. In our sinfulness, guys, we were main plagued by this sense of homesickness. It's sin that has made us fugitives from our own destiny. So, thirdly, something has got to be done about our sin. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is why the gospel is such good news. The gospel tells me that my sin of the past has been paid for by Jesus Christ. And not only that, the continuing sin that I wrestle with is being addressed progressively by the indwelling Holy Spirit. My God-shaped vacuum has been filled by the only one big enough to fill it. You keep cramming stuff in there and it doesn't fit, does it? The itch, it it keeps itching. You cram your, your success and your sex life and your, and your money and you, you try to stuff it in there, but it won't be stuffed. There's only one big enough to fill up that vacuum. The thrice holy God. Ladies and gentlemen, there is no other remedy. There is nowhere else for you to go. There's no other fountain from which you might drink to quench your eternal thirst. There's nothing under the sun. Do you hear me? There is nothing under the sun that will give you meaning. It's planned that way. That's the purpose of this book. For you to see that there's nothing under the sun but injustice and lack of trustworthiness and on and on and on so that that sense of dissatisfaction with everything that you pursued will ultimately drive you to faith in Christ. There's got to be something more. And there is. 
but it's only found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me mention one other thing and I'm done. There's, there's one thing that Solomon doesn't mention. He might allude to it a couple of times in the book. But gang, the, the thing that enabled the, early, the first century Christian church to, to overtake the pagan society in which she found herself, the thing that allowed her to not only root but to expand and grow was her emphasis on resurrection. Life not under the sun, but life above it. Solomon didn't know much about that, but we do. Not only do we know a lot about it, but we have historical, verifiable evidences of the physical, bodily, literal Resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Gang. It's life after death that helps us make sense of life before death. So my dear friend, I I earnestly invite you to Christ. Or you can forever live in a state of restless confusion, wondering what is this life all about? Our Father, I, I do pray that you will use the. Um, this search on which Solomon has taken us to remind us of the meaninglessness of life apart from the God who made us and found a way to save us in Christ Jesus. I pray, Lord, if you've led people here this morning who have not yet met this Savior of ours, that you will remind them that there is an eternal itch inside them and they keep on trying to satisfy it and none of it's working. It's all bitterness. It's all disappointed us. It's, it's, it's fun for a moment. And then the emptiness remains. Father, would you uh, show people something that I cannot show them? That that God-shaped vacuum within them is only going to be filled by the living God. Show them that, Lord. And then show them the beauty of the Savior. For the rest of us, Father, would you, um, would you forgive us for spending way too much time in pursuits of, that are meaningless, at least eternally? And might we use the responsibilities that you've given us now to bring glory to you? We ask all of this, of course, in Jesus' name.